Hey, this is Mark Altman of Inglorious Trexperts in the 430 movie. And if you're a fan of our podcast, you don't want to miss Deck 78, available now by subscribing at trexpertsplus.com. This is a bonus podcast full of great discussions about popular culture, film, and television. This episode features an exclusive freewheeling conversation about Battlestar Galactica 1978. By your command, here's a sneak peek. Let's do it. Okay, ready? Yes. Ready for the holiday special? Here we go. Ten best Galactica characters, starting with ten. Beryllian Noman at ten. <laughs> okay, number nine. Number oh nine. God. Come on, uh, who's number n- nine? Number nine is Cyrus Bellaby. No, she's not in the top ten. Come sure on. Sure he is. No, you know Lloyd Bachner from the Eastern Alliance. No, I hate I hate the <laughs> freaking Eastern from Alliance. The Eastern Alliance. The stupidest Dama, thing ever. Okay. okay. Your white knight. Okay, come on. Number nine. Okay, it's it's it's, it's 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 Green Bean. Yeah. Ed Beagley Jr. Oh my Lieutenant god. Lieutenant Green yeah. Bean. As, uh, what was his name? Come on. Green, Green, Green Bean. Green Bean. Green Bean. Yeah. Green Bean? Green Bean. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number eight. Sheba. No, Sarah Rush, the <laughs> Rigel. She's the one who goes, launch all vipers. Okay, we're going to get to Sheba, right? Okay. So, okay, so number we, seven. Number seven is the Chief Ovion. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be the singers. It's love, love, no, love. No, they're love. higher up. Okay. Because well, <laughs> we're getting, now we're getting, because you got to have Countably in the top five. Yeah. You got to have Adama. Don't, don't tell me who we got to have. Starbuck, Sheba. Yeah. Right. What about yeah. Serena? What about Serena? Oh, Serena. Yeah. Yeah. And Apollo. You gotta have maybe? Jane Seymour. Apollo, yeah. maybe? Eh, I guess. Starbuck, uh, Imperious Leader. Yeah. Fora, the computer. Baltar. Right? Yeah, to have Baltar. Baltar. Oh my god, this gotta be a holiday special. Wait, wait, wait. You guys, you've listed all of these names, and I haven't heard Janeway. What's going on here? You're funny. <laughs> what about the Daggett? You gotta have the Daggett. No, you don't. Muffy. No, you don't. No, you don't. Well, you gotta no, have Commander Kane. And he, oh yeah, you, you gotta, gotta have, have Commander, Commander Kane. Kane. And you don't have to have Boxy. No, you don't. Oh. Yeah. No, you don't need Just like that Boxy. Need, uh, Wesley Crusher. But you need a you need Athena you need Athena because we were all like uh, ten years old at the time. And I, she was I didn't the like boxy ever. when I was on, but I think it was more like I was jealous that this kid like got to hang out on those sets and like be in that show. I, I that didn't like cool. that kid, and you no, were rooting against him in uh, Neverending Story. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like that he was the impetus for all these stories. Like he he hit he he. Um, Hit out on the on the shuttle, so he he goes down to the gun on ice planet zero because he was hiding on the shuttle. It's like Muffy wanted on. to see. Muffy wants to see snow. Yeah, <laughs> oh, show Muffy on. snow. <laughs> and then fire in the you know he's in the center of the action again and fire in fire in space. It's like I don't. Well, like they kind of wrote him out of the show by the second half though. He, he well, and Athena also. Half. I love Athena. Were, yeah. yeah. Well, who didn't? Athena and Serena were my two go to babes. Apparently Don Henley didn't love her enough. He didn't marry her. Oh, but uh oh, oh, too soon. Yeah. Um but uh what else? Um yeah, so I mean, you know, it's just like look at the way we talk about the show. It's almost like uh Inglorious Galactic spurts. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. I don't know. I don't know. But let's but you know, there's a legacy here because the- So subscribe today at trexpressplus.com and don't miss a single episode of Deck 78. Fire the rockets. Mark A. Altman. Darren Docterman. 
Ashley Edward Miller. Three fans who became professionals and then became... Trexperts. Inglorious Trexperts. Listen wherever you find podcasts or go to trexpertsplus.com. They're here. Yes, indeed. Your favorite 430 movie hosts are all back with an all-new season of curating fantasy theme weeks on the 430 Movie Podcast. Join Darren Docterman, Ashley Edward Miller, Stephen Melching, and myself, Mark A. Altman, as we bring you the latest and sometimes not so greatest in movie curation. It's the 430 Movie. It's fun. It's informative. It's awesome. And until then, Eyewitness News starts now. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, one of the co-hosts of Inglorious Trexperts. And if you're a Trek fan, you owe it to yourself to pick up the 50-year mission, the complete, uncensored oral history of Star Trek. It's available wherever you buy books, digital, or audio. And speaking of books, check out my new book about the making of John Wick. They shouldn't have killed his dog. Also available wherever you buy your books. You see a pattern happening here? Well, what are you waiting for? Get on it. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Dockerman. And this is Ashley Miller. And we are the inglorious Trexperts. And we have just returned from If We Were in Richmond, the yada dum all day long. Get annoyed at the service at the Hilton. If I were a Richmond man, anyway. So, hey, uh-huh. welcome to the uh, welcome back to Inglorious Trexperts. We just got back to town ourselves, and uh, except for Darren, who's uh, still on the East Coast and looking mighty tired at the moment. But we had a we had Broke a great time man. at yeah, <laughs> we had a great time at GalaxyCon, didn't we? Oh, uh, amazing course, time! As usual. Yeah, it was the best. I'll tell you who was, was the best sh- of times. It was the best of times. I'll tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you who was singing show tunes all weekend. That was Darren Doctorman. And you know and who Jonathan was Jonathan Frakes. Well, I was gonna say, you know who his duets <laughs> were with? Jonathan Frakes. That was dude, listening to the two of you uh uh uh, uh to swap uh musical uh uh from the musical oeuvre was quite a thing to behold. We were we were celebrating our not apparent non-gayness. <laughs> yeah, it was uh it was uh it was it was it was quite in, in, in it was quite enchanting. So uh <laughs> but um, what a great weekend. So grateful to Mike Broder and his team at GalaxyCon for uh having the Trexperts uh at uh, GalaxyCon Richmond. We'll be doing our next show uh in um July at Rally, Rally, North Carolina. Um but uh, but this this was this was special because so so many of you so many of you listeners turned out to come say hello and uh, to uh, attend uh, attend the panels and that was uh, that was nice uh, we got to see uh, uh, some people who have 
hidden behind the screen of social media. Got to see <laughs> you in the uh, in the flesh, so to speak, and uh, it was it was it was delightful. Um, and even even Mark acknowledged them. Right. Well, during the few minutes I was actually at the booth, I did. Right. It was always a special appearance, Mark. It was it was great. <laughs> well, I said, look, I mean, you know, people who are fans of the podcast, they're, they're a certain kind of breed. They're very special. They're not just a, a spaceship captain. They're starship captains. So, That's right. uh, very special thing. It's a very special thing. So, you know, I, I got to show some respect for our, for, for our, li our listeners, our Trexpers Plus subscribers in particular. So, um, but it was, it was, it was actually really, really nice. Um, uh, great guests. And, and we, uh, did a number of panels over the weekend, but I think certainly one of the highlights for us was uh, our Inglorious Trexpress live panel in which we, um, brought, uh, Terry Metallus to his first convention, the showrunner of Picard season three, uh, via the magic of the interwebs, uh, Zoom to be exact. No, actually it was not Zoom. It was, um, uh, Streamyard. Stream Streamyard. 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 It was definitely the, uh, there was a stream. It was a stream. There was a stream involved. The stream. It's like dry dock or or, or the 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 what the 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 shipyards of um, and a and a stream runs through it. That's right. <laughs> but um, but it, but it was great to to sort of um, uh, you know, you always remember your first time, and I think for Terry, this was his first convention, so uh, it was great well, it that was, he. It was his first convention as a guest. As as a, guest, I think yes. he's, he's attended conventions before. Uh, absolutely, his first yeah. attend his first first convention as a guest. And now I have to tell you, our it was our hope to get the audio from that panel uh, to share with you. Uh, but as of uh, the time this is dropping, and because it is so uh, timely, we wanted to get it to you. Uh, we only have the recording from my phone. Um, we do not have the, the the recording through the sound system. Now, it is possible at some point, if we do get that, that we'll swap out the audio. Uh, yeah, so you may actually, by the time you hear this, be listening to the actual audio uh, recorded through the soundboard. But for those of you who are listening to it on Thursday when this episode drops, uh, it, it will be uh, <laughs> the audio from my phone. But I promise you, it's not nearly as bad as my interview with Harold Livingston. You, you know, here's the, the best way to, to think of it is it is like a bootleg of a really great concert. And there right. are people out there who love a great bootleg. So if you're into bootlegs, wow, do we have a boot and a leg for you? Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, but I think we, 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 you know, we recorded this a few days after Imposter dropped, which was a sort of seminal episode for Picard. Um, yeah, it was, it was uh, right through. at the midway halfway. point. Yeah, halfway point. Uh, obviously, big, big things. I, I guess I should probably say, um, spoiler warning, if you right. haven't seen Imposter, you probably want to stop now because we do talk about the events and in particular, one big event that happens in that episode. Uh, we we don't give away about anything about upcoming episodes, uh, uh, starting with Dominion. Uh, we, we, so, so if, if it's fine, if you haven't seen the episodes after imposter, but as long as you've seen imposter, uh, and the episodes that preceded it, you, you should be fine. Um, and we talk about the hopes that Terry has for Star Trek legacy, which would be a successor series, which at this time has not been greenlit. 
nor put into development, but it is certainly his hope as well. Nor even mentioned to the studio. Yeah, well, you can certainly tell. It's casting, but it's good wish casting. You could could tell from the crowd there is an insatiable hunger among fans for this to happen. You know, uh, I think there's a lot of interest in uh, seeing this happen. And I think when people see the final episode of, uh, of Picard, episode 10, there'll be even more of an appetite for uh, Star Trek to continue. Um, yes. And uh, they were in for a treat with that. But um, I have to say, we had a treat uh, all weekend long. Uh, I just want to tease some of the other episodes that'll be upcoming. Um, obviously, we, we had a wonderful Q&A with the delightful Nana Visitor and Terry Farrell, which was a real another real highlight of the convention, I think, for us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're... They're they're always uh, they're always fun to uh, yak with, and uh, we got some uh, some new stories. It's all and, and uh, Major, it's all good. Major Kira threatened to kick my ass. That was that was pretty great. I'm like, I'm, I'm putting that. Uh, <laughs> I think one of my favorite table. moments though was when Darren presented Terry Farrell with the honorary Trexpert certificate from the Trexperts. Right uh, after he quizzed her. Uh, to determine her bona fides before giving her a Trexpress honorary we can't we can't just we can't just throw these out willy-nilly mark we have to make sure that they are worthy that's right I'm not I mean, worthy. she's not actually Jadzia Dax she just played Jadzia Dax and those yeah. are different things fair enough yeah. that's that's right. a good point that's a good point um, and uh, of course, uh, one of another highlight was which we'll be sharing with the uh, Trexperts audience in a few weeks is um, really a phenomenal uh, uh, time we had with Walter Koenig on Sunday, uh, yeah. in which Walter took the stage and talked to thousands of fans um, about his role not only as Chekhov but Bester in Babylon Five. And uh, you know, Walter had had a very successful and long convention, and he's in his late eighties and. You know, he was tired, but boy, when he took the stage, he just came yeah. came to life. He came to life. It was amazing. Yeah. And it was he scared amazing. the hell out of us by walking too close to the edge to of the To the edge stage. of the stage. Yeah, we were all looking he at was don't, to don't boldly go forward. where no man has gone before. I know. It's like, you throw me the idol, I throw you the whip. I mean, it was like you he was right on the Walter precipice. Koenig, I throw you the whip. It was just, Yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was crazy. So um, that was nice. And of course, uh, on Deck 78, uh, we'll be sharing our, um, or I should say your interview with uh, the great uh, Sarah Douglas, live from Planet Houston. Yeah, Uh, Mark Mark, uh, was absent from this one, but uh, we tried our best to uh, stand in for the three. And uh, Sarah Douglas was great. She was, uh, uh, you know, her unreasoning perversions and hatred of all mankind uh, really shown through. I was just scared. I was scared of her. She terrified (laughs) me. I I was afraid to come on stage because, uh, because, you know, Ursa is, uh, is a formidable, uh, you know, I was afraid she'd blow me a kiss and I'd end up in uh, Houston. But, uh, you know, God forbid you have any patches on your clothing. I mean, you don't want that. (laughs) No, I gotta, I gotta tell you, that was really a, 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 dis- a disappointment to me because I had, I'd prepared all this stuff for the panel and I was really looking forward to it and meeting Sarah and had scheduled the whole thing. And then I got, uh, called away for work for a very important work, uh, uh, call. And, um, yeah. 
I couldn't I couldn't join you guys. And I felt terrible not only leaving you in a lurch, but also not having the chance to be part of the conversation with Sarah. But that said, you guys did a phenomenal job. And I was told all weekend about what a great panel it was. So I, I can't well, wait we, to hear it myself. We didn't interview interview Lurch. We interviewed Ursa. Yeah. What did I say? Did I said Lurch? <laughs> No, you said you left us in a lurch. Oh, I left you in a lurch. Ah, I see, I see, I see. see. Okay. Ah, I see what you did, Dar. Superman. (laughs) But maybe my heirs will interview her one day. You? One day. And your heirs. Um, I know Isaac would love to do that. So, Um, but that was so that was great. And of course, we also. had a chance to talk about my upcoming documentary in 1982 as well on Sunday, which was a really fun panel where we got to talk yeah. about the films of uh, of 1982. So uh, all in all, I have to say a great convention. We have great stories, which we'll share. But right now, we, uh, we're going to join our panel as we bring Terry Metalis to Richmond, Virginia, to talk about the new season of Star Trek Picard with some great insights uh, into uh, his love of Star Trek and also some of the decisions he made about this new season, as well as a Q&A with the fans. So without any further ado, let's uh, slingshot around the sun and head back in time to Terry Metalis live at GalaxyCon. Now here's a question, because we don't want to do spoilers for anything that hasn't aired yet. But has everyone seen this week's episode, The Bounty? Okay. Because I'm sure we'll be talking, there's a lot that happened this week. I'm sure we'll be talking about and that. And we didn't want to spoil the fact that paper towels play a big role uh, <laughs> in the episode. Yeah, next week is Quilted Northern. That's right. Yeah. So, um, but the bounty, of course, is an allusion to what uh, Kirk and his, and everybody christened uh, the bird of prey. From Star Trek. From Star Trek Four, By Leonard, Ro- was scored by Leonard Roseman, as we've learned uh, earlier today. Okay, so um, I'm going to check and see what the status is of uh, Mr. Sit Metallus. down. Hi. How are we doing? There's no seat belt. Oh, Will you sure. please sit down? So what we're going to talk about today is uh, uh, mostly what uh, Terry Metallus has gone through to, uh, to bring us this season. Um, and, and also uh, some of the inspiration that might have come from, let's say, Star Trek movies and uh, uh, previous Star Treks that might have... Uh, fed into uh, the storylines. So at least that's the plan. Otherwise, we'll just make stuff up. And, and not just storylines. You know, uh, there's, uh, there's references, little quotes from bits of score. Um, there are props. There are specific shots. Captain um, Kirk's dead body. Captain Kirk's dead body. <laughs> there are more Easter eggs in Picard season three than the freaking White House lawn. Okay, it's uh, and it's everywhere. And what's most glorious about it to me is that it's just all it all feels so organic. And if you get it, awesome. If you don't get it, it's, it's okay. still awesome. Yeah. 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 And, and that's the great thing about Easter eggs and shout outs. It's like you can appreciate it on a deeper level if you get it, but it can't get in the way of the story. And that's what's so wonderful about the season of Picard is that there's a story that if you've never seen Next Generation, you've never seen the original series, you've never seen Deep Space Nine you can really appreciate it on that level, but there's a whole nother level you can appreciate it on if you're you know, a fan. And uh, obviously, uh, some of the cameos that have happened already, and there are more to come, but Michelle Forbes was so sensational yeah. in Imposter. Uh, 
I mean, one of the great, I think, which was really sad to the people who worked on NextGen and obviously for Noise, is that Michelle did not want to do you know, more than be a recurring. And then, of course, when she was offered Deep Space Nine, she turned it down to do a movie career. And, you know, when you think of the potential that character had, it was so wonderful to finally see her come back and have that realized. And the depth and complexity. Who would ever think now one of the most significant episodes of Next Generation is preemptive strike? Right. I mean, you, you know, it's, it's, I hadn't thought about that episode in probably 30 years. And, uh, and, and now it's become such an important part of canon after what happened. But you've only been doing this for 10 years. Mark. Only for 10, yeah. that's true. But I've been watching TV for at least Oh, okay, years. good. Yeah. That's a lot of TV. Absolutely. So, um, boy, I wish I had more things to give away. No, it's, it, it's, no, it's no secret that on our podcast, we sort of uh, skew a little bit to older Star Trek. More um, seasoned. More seasoned Star Trek. Uh, and uh, and that's, that's fine. And they're, you know... People disagree with us about stuff, but that's okay because we're all one big happy fleet and we can have disagreements and it's, it's fine. As long as everyone respects each other, you can have a, a you know, normal discourse about these things. Um, and it's interesting that we were you know, one of the first, uh, certainly, podcasts to talk about uh, uh, how great season three of Picard was. Um, and, and we, we got some pushback from people thinking that we were just shills. Right. We were getting paid to say it. Look, I can get paid for much better things than <laughs> saying that I like Picard season three. Yeah, I think the one thing that, you know, we've always called it like it is on the podcast or as we see it. And uh, this is no exception. And it's actually a pleasure to be able to sing the praises of not only a show, but a showrunner who has done such a great job and uh, who started as an assistant uh, on Voyager and Enterprise for Brandon Braggon, a PA, and now is the captain of his own ship. And we're very, very happy to bring um, Terry to the screen. So I've always wanted to say this, put him on screen. <laughs> <laughs> is he on, on screen? Terry, are you there? Terry? Metallus Prime? There we are. Well, we, Terry, welcome to uh, GalaxyCon here in, uh, where are we? Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> okay, 60 years, you were saying. So um, we want to, we want to, we're so glad to have you. We were just sing, sing your praises and uh, everyone can here is such him? a... Can, can you hear us? I love this. We can, we can hear you, Terry. Can you hear us? Who's taking Genesis? <laughs> I'm not... <laughs> We can, we can hear you, Terry. What's wrong? <laughs> It'd be nice to Tell hear him. Tell him not to go into the light, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we're, I'm sure we're going to have him back in a second. You're his if, father. If not, He's afraid of you. If not, I'm going to put him on speakerphone if this is not, if we can't get sound here. Right. Um, Isn't this fun? Welcome to the 21st century. It'll be all right. Um, but like we were saying, you know, we, we got some pushback from fans who said, oh, you're, you're just being shills for this uh, new season. And, you know, obviously they're paying you to say this and, and we don't believe you. But thank goodness, over the few weeks that we've had to see the show, people are starting to say, oh, my God, I had no idea. I, I, we're sorry we doubted you. Yeah, all those people have said that they're sorry. Yo, wait a second. How many of them have actually said they're sorry? There's a couple. Oh, OK, good. Are we keeping a list? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> and it's fair enough to say you ain't seen nothing yet because 
Talk about a show that sticks the landing. You know, in the next four weeks, there's some really spectacular things that are coming up. And yeah, uh, you remember Carrie Strug? Yeah, it's like that. So, <laughs> and if you, if you wow. think you shed a lot of tears during Imposters, wait until uh, the finale. You, you had a question, Peter Falk. Well, you see, Star Trek is such a uh, a wonderful uh, uh, playground to have all sorts of strange stories and uh, and uh, have the uh, uh, the storytellers sort of push it past the censors and uh, talk about things that are so meaningful to uh, uh, human beings. And I think that uh, I, I always wanted to uh, for people in the future to take Star Trek and make it their own. And uh, I think that's a really wonderful thing, and I, I just wish I were around so that I could get more money from it. <laughs> you, you know, it's so funny because I just thought of this. I mean, I know there was a lot of controversy or conversation about the use of profanity in uh, Picard, but it, it's funny because Gene was always about pushing the envelope on everything. Yeah. And he, he loved to take, the, you know, like the Brits would say, take the piss out of the censors. He hated right. that. So I think I, I, Gene would probably, as a, a man who employed colorful metaphors quite often, he if, would probably if we, be... If we could have gotten away with it back in the 60s, you would have heard uh, a lot of serious shit. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, and obviously if you're a fan of what Terry's done... Uh, he had a, a lot of success with the Sci-Fi Channel series, 12 Monkeys, um, which is uh, a great thing to revisit, you know, in, in four weeks when this is over and you're crying that it's I only over. saw the first 10 monkeys, so <laughs> I have to see the last two. Yeah, you, you've been holding off. You've been waiting for the right, right, right moment to right. experience it. You know what's funny about the profanity thing is, um, you know, when we talk about what is adult television, Right. Or we look at some of the other Star Trek series and kind of their relationship with adult content. Um, there's a, a tendency, I think, to reduce that to lowest common denominator. Right. Like we're talking about profanity or nudity or the level of violence or whatever. But I think to me, the thing that is most impressive about Picard is that it burns. Um, you know, it's uh, it's sort of reputation as being a, a Star Trek series for adults by being about truly adult themes. Like, I, I don't know about you. But the conversation between Picard and Beverly about Jack uh, in the sick bay is one of the most adult conversations anybody has ever had on Star Trek. Uh, it, one of the most adult conversations anybody has ever had about children, period. And I think, you know, rather than clutching our pearls about somebody dropping an F-bomb, um, maybe we should celebrate the notion that these, these characters and the themes of the show have, uh, have evolved and grown. Yeah, but they're going to be really upset about that Jeffrey Combs nudity in episode 307. Yeah, but wait till they see him. Dude is cut, and they have him in oil. It's, he looks terrific, honestly. For an 80-year-old man, you're not going to believe it. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and, and it's funny. You mentioned uh, sort of these nuanced conversations about children and about family and... Uh, you know, it's one of the reasons I always loved Next Generation Family, which dealt with the repercussions of Best of Both Worlds. It's, it's one of my favorite episodes. And this episode they almost didn't make because they felt it was too soft. And in a way, Picard is that every week. And next week, in, in the next episode, there is a scene that is among the best uh, uh, moments of, of dealing with family that the show has ever, ever done. It's just spectacular. And, I'm and not frankly, say I'm, I'm glad that we know that... Uh, uh Jonathan Frakes as Riker can do a lot more than making pizza. Right. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with pizza. We love pizza. 
But uh, I think there's, it's good that he can do something more that is more Star Trek. Well, I, all kidding aside, how great is Jonathan in the show? Yeah. I mean, phenomenal. And for those of you who are fans of the podcast, you know we spent like three years over the holidays doing our <laughs> 101 greatest Star Trek characters of all time. And it went on for nine weeks. And I think cumulatively, it's about 26 hours of podcast. It's insane. And uh, to all of you who listen to it, I apologize. But um, I, I would certainly say after having watched Picard, Riker would be much higher on our list. Yeah, much, higher. much higher than he was. Because he wasn't as well serviced in Next Generation. And, and same for Crusher. I think she would yeah, have been much higher. Absolutely. And it, we joked around. It's like, had we done that list after seeing Picard, there are a couple of people that would absolutely be on that list. Right. And I'm curious who you think that would be now. Well, the, the no-brainer layup is uh, Captain Shaw. Right. I mean, come on, that's a great character. And you know what's interesting? That the, I think one of the reasons why those um, Next Generation characters who we love so much weirdly didn't rate as highly on that list, but we now feel like they would rate higher is because in the next generation, they, there wasn't enough opportunity for conflict. And if you look at the characters who were higher on our list, they really brought great dramatic conflict to the show. Now, there are these terrific, honest conflicts between Riker and Picard, or Crusher and Picard, or Crusher and everybody. You know, you name it. And Shaw, and literally everyone. Uh, in, a, in a really interesting way. And I just, I love how the show has given them an opportunity to really uh, expand our understanding of them and kind of see them in a different light. Now, does everybody know the, the sort of uh, little secret about Shaw's character name and where it came from? Yeah. Robert Shaw, because of uh, the sort of monologue that Shaw has uh, uh, talking about... Uh, Hello, testing one, two, three. Oh, my God. Three. Oh, he lives. There he is. Come in. You I'm mentioned sing your Jaws praises. and he appears. Am I, you can see me? They can see you. They can see you. We can. You can we, see me. You still you live can, in, our, you're on in our soul. And, and okay. Our Hi. <laughs> Terry, we were just talking about how great you are and then suddenly you showed up. Uh, I heard it was ridiculous. Stop talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> we said your name five times. All right. Then, Good night, everybody. <laughs> you saw him. You're done. Go home. It's like Candyman. Well, we, I wish I could see everybody. Hi. <laughs> they're, they're all smiling and waving, so... This isn't like Capricorn one or anything Hey, hey Terry, like other than TCA and, and like uh, publicity and promotion, have you done any conventions yet? No, I think I'm going to do Vegas, though, is what, what nice. I'm told. You're darn right you are. Fantastic. <laughs> well, you know what? Now you're, you're, this is your first Star Trek convention, so welcome. Welcome well, to well, Richmond. I, I'm so glad it's this one. <laughs> Well, From the comfort of my home. <laughs> With my geeky toys all around me. Nice. Well, we, there's a line building outside uh, for autographs. We, 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 oh, I hope you yeah, don't mind. We gave sure, you no a dress. Terry who? Terry Farrell? No, not Terry Farrell. <laughs> well, we wanted to have you here today because obviously there's a lot of love for what you've done. And I think a lot of anticipation for what could potentially come next. So I think... I was going to save this for the end, but I want to ask you first, because I know this is a question on everybody's minds, and it's something you've talked about a lot publicly. You know, what are your hopes for the next next generation? 
the show's been doing really well. Obviously, there's nothing official. But what would you tell people who want to see more of this wonderful world that you've created? Well, I mean, it, it's true. There is there is nothing uh, official at all. Look, I, I love this time period in Star Trek. I mean, this is, you know, the 25th century is where I always view it as the present day of Star Trek. You know, for me, it's where we all left off. Um, you know, this, this time right here. Uh, and the way we leave this season is a passing of the torch of uh, the last generation to the next. Uh, and boy, wouldn't you want to check in with the Klingon Empire? Wouldn't you want to check in with Deep Space Nine and the Doctor and everything that went on with the Berman verse, and uh, so that that's kind of where uh, I I see it um, is, is to explore the galaxy and sort of get back to the next gen roots of of, of storytelling is is what I would see as as a, as a kind of um, version of Star Trek I'd like to see with this group of characters that I think we're, that we're seeing, but I, I don't want to talk too much about them other than I, th although I think you could guess as to who I'd like to see. And by the way, I think that includes a, a great deal of some of these legacy characters who I think have never been better. Jonathan Frakes being one of them, I think, as you mentioned, <laughs> I mean, come on guys, he's amazing. We were just talking about that, how, how amazing uh, Jonathan is a, a Riker. And it, it's not putting too fine a point on it to say, we didn't know he had it in him. I mean, I, he's amazingly talented and he's a brilliant director, but oh my God, is he great in the show. Um, yeah, he, he, he really is. But I got to tell you, you know, we did a panel earlier with Nana and Terry and Nana is loving the new season. So, uh, you know. She's uh, so good. I mean, I mean. Gosh, you want to see that. You want to see Nana so bad uh, and what's going on with her and, and, and everyone. It would be phenomenal. Yep, absolutely. Well, you know, this is also a love letter, as we said earlier, to the entire history of Star Trek. Even characters and situations that aren't a part of this narrative of the show, you, you, you pay homage to, whether in the music or an Easter egg and stuff. So we want to talk about, um, you know, you as a longtime Star Trek fan, and sort of your recollections of sort of key Star Trek moments, what you love about it, and then maybe how you honored it in the show. So I think we'll start by saying Star Trek, the motion picture. What was that? Uh, what did that mean to you uh, as a Star Trek fan? Well, I mean, one of my earliest memories is my father getting that LP, that soundtrack, mm. and blasting it. Uh, in my living room. I mean, shaking the house with that. I mean, if it, anyone has ever played that soundtrack, the first thing is that, you know, it's so loud. Not to mention, you know, the blaster beam sound. So we actually included, you know, early on in this season, when I sat down with my composer, Stephen Barton, who I brought on from my last show, 12 Monkeys, we really wanted to go back to the 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 cinematic sound of Jerry Goldsmith and James Horner and Cliff Eidelman. And, uh, and we, we asked ourselves, what would Jerry do? And we, the blaster beam was one of the first things we, 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 we thought of. And we went, we got it in <laughs> the actual, the same one. Um, so that was one of the, that I would say that's, that's a motion picture 
uh, influence. And of course, going back to the next gen theme, which is, you know, originates from there as well. It's interesting because there are two things in the Berman verse that you've kind of pushed back against at the same time as honoring it. One of them are the scores, because we all know that Rick liked oral wallpaper. Um, and, <laughs> and, and then um, the other thing is, you know, at, at the time, you know, for Rick and Mike and, and Brandon, for everybody, Roddenberry's box was an essential part of the show, which was that the characters couldn't have conflict, that they, you know, the, the conflict all had to come from the outside. It had to be external. That um, That's why the show was so high concept, because there wasn't drama necessarily being generated by interpersonal con, uh, con conflict. And it was called Roddenberry's Box, and pretty much the people that survived on Next Generation subscribed to Roddenberry's Box, and the people that didn't were usually gone, who were pushing for more conflict. It seems as you found a very happy medium between the Roddenberry's Box of the 90s and telling contemporary stories which involve drama and interpersonal conflict and high stakes and the fact that a family that loves each other can still have disagreements. I think, well, it's, it's interesting. I, I wonder how much of that's true because I've, I've actually now I've gone back and watched um, a lot more next gen. I mean, we watched a whole ton uh, uh, while we, while we were making this. Um, and, and there is a great deal of, of, of conflict. It's, a bit more elevated intellectual dinner theater than say the emotional wear your heart on your sleeve thing that we do here. But I think that's because these characters are older and a bit more raw and faced with big life changing moments. You know, in the case of Riker, he's, this is a man now who lost a son, right? That, that's a story that we inherited from uh, from Michael and Akiva and, and Alex from season one that we couldn't ignore. So once once you tell the story about Picard discovering one and and not knowing how to deal with it and rejecting it, it, it introduces a, a conflict that's impossible to ignore under extreme circumstances, right? So um, it's a different, and television itself has changed, right? You know, and some of that um, you can find in the DNA of Star Trek writers like Ron Moore, um, who who left Star Trek The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and went on to go do Battlestar. And you go and you watch Battlestar, which becomes a deeply, um, these emotional conflicts that changed science fiction television. You know, it's interesting because it's almost harder to go back to 1990 Star Trek, which I would say is one of our strongest and legitimate criticisms is it's not next generation. We're not doing the show from the 90s. And I don't know how how you would do that, although I'd be interested in trying to do it a little bit more. You know, I'm curious. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because in um, in uh, basically in the old days, uh, the old days, the next generation days, people would have to basically keep it under their hat. They were big Star Trek fans. There was a lot of people. They they, yeah. they didn't want you there if you were big. So you know, initially, um, uh, you know, people like Mike Sussman and, and Ron Moore and, and a lot of people really kept their heads down and they wouldn't talk too much about the fact that they were big Star Trek right. fans. So you um, came onto a show 
I, I'd love to know what it was like when you first uh, went in and pitched about uh, becoming a showrunner on the show and, and pitched them this idea for season three. And obviously you not only were a fan of Star Trek, but you were, um, had actually worked on Star Trek, which no one, there really hadn't been anybody who had worked on Star Trek before on this new era of Star Trek. Other than the actors. Other than the actors, right. So what, what was that like when you went in uh, to uh, Secret Hideout and said, look, I, you know, like to come and uh, do this and I have this idea and w walk us through that, that pitch, that meeting. Uh, well, it, it wasn't specifically for season three. I, um, I had just finished 12 Monkeys. And at the time, uh, that last season was really buzzy. Um, it was, uh, it was getting me a lot of meetings. I, I directed the last two episodes and, uh, I, I had a little moment, uh, and I said to my agent, I was like, they're making Star Trek. And, you know, I, I, I used to work at Star Trek. That was, you know, it's in my DNA. Can you get me a meeting? Uh, and I sat down with secret hideout and they had, um, they were developing two shows. They were developing Picard and they were developing Khan. Um, and they, and I said, Oh my God, Picard. And they're like, we've, we've got people for Picard. Sit down kid. And I was like, all right. Um, what about Khan? Um, and, uh, I went, uh, down the road I met Akiva. Um, and it looked like it would work out for me to potentially run Khan because they had not put together the deal for Picard. Uh, uh, then they decided to make Picard and not Khan. And so uh, CBS put me on this network show uh, for uh, like season five of MacGyver, which I know you've all seen. Um, and uh, once I was there through a year of that, they called me and they're like, hey, um, Michael Shaban, who ran season one of Picard, is leaving to go to his brilliant novel, Cavalier and Clay, uh, as a live action series would you be interested in coming and helping Akiva Goldsman do season two of uh, Picard? And then um, he's going to go do strange new worlds. And then season three would be yours. And I said, oh, of course, get me in, get me in. Uh, and so that's, that's how that happened. Uh, so I came into a room with uh, Michael Shaban, Akiva Goldsman, Kirsten Byers uh, for season two of Picard. Uh, and then about halfway through making that, I'm also right in the middle of the COVID insanity, um, which was very difficult to make the show. And the show went through several incarnations because of COVID and, and changeover at Paramount, uh, in, in season two. And then, um, halfway through that, I split off to do season three. Um, and in that moment, I, looked at it as this is our last chance to say goodbye to the next gen cast. I, I, I felt like they never had their undiscovered country moment. I always felt like after Nemesis, uh, I thought they were going to make another movie. Um, it really felt like they deserved one more. And gosh, if you had 10 hours as opposed to two hours, you could do something remarkable, but it meant convincing a whole lot of people that that was the right move uh, with, a, with a limited amount of money. And we only had 10 weeks to put this thing together. Um, and uh, the rest is history. Yeah, and I think that's one thing people sometimes don't realize. This isn't Star Trek season eight. 
you know, the, the time of 26 episode seasons. Yeah. This really is Star Trek 11 or Star Trek 11 and Star Trek 12. Right. It's right. A, no, it's not at all Star Trek The Next Generation. It, you would, that would be devised in an incredibly different way. I think this is Darren talking. I, th I think that one of the clever things that happened is that you were able to integrate into season two the use of a starship bridge that would later become the Titan. And that was able, you were able to utilize the budget from season two to help with the budget for season three. And I think that was very clever. That what, well, we, we needed, you know, we needed a starship. I mean, when I came on, it was, that was one of the things it was universally agreed on is we need to get a starship. We need to get back on a starship. Certainly by season three, there wasn't a plan necessarily. They, they'd always uh, identified each season as a different story. Right. Um, but they didn't know which, what they would be, but they certainly knew by season three, we would need, we would need a starship. And now, you know, obviously Khan is a huge touch point for you. So let's talk about seeing Ratha Khan for the first time and what that meant to you as you developed um, uh, Picard season three. Well, I love Ratha Khan, uh, but it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't like we started season three and said, let's just do Ratha Khan. It, it, a lot of those elements came together and in retrospect, you know, we probably would have tried to to do it a little bit differently. For instance, it wasn't a nebula in Picard season three. Um, uh, it was a sort of fluidic space uh, that ended up still being um, uh, uh, an active space that turned into space babies. Uh, spoiler alert for everybody who hasn't seen it. Um, but that meant a whole bunch of R&D and visual effects we couldn't afford. But you know what we could do? We can do a nebula. So um, a nebulas are much cheaper. But now the second you do a nebula and a sun, guess what you're doing, Raphicon? Um, and but that's life in the big city, guys, when you're when, when you're making a, a television show. Um, so we you know, what can you do to differentiate it? Well, you don't make it purple. You know, you add gravity well, you add Astro, you do as much as you can. And look, you're going to get people, believe, you know, we, we, we took it on the chin. They're just doing Rathacon. There's a kid. I mean, look, the other, the other criticism that kind of drove me a little bit crazy was it's a surprise son. It, yes, in Rathacon, it was a surprise to the audience, but not to James T. Kirk. Kirk right. knew yet. Um, and it's not... It's not a plot point, David Marcus. It does not affect the plot at all. It's color to Kirk's age and emotion. Um, so we were, you know, <laughs> hoping that wasn't going to be a focus. But then, you know, we also have a larger than life villain. That is definitely, a, a, you know, a Star Trek uh, tradition that's inspired by Khan or in Amanda Plummer's case, her father, um, you know, uh, that you can't escape. But if you're going to do a 10 hour Star Trek movie, isn't that something you want? Um, so we, those are, those are how those influences um, found their way into uh, Picard season three.
Can you talk a little bit about your design sense and the and the fact that you're bringing back a lot of sort of classic look uh, starships, uh, particularly at the Fleet Museum and. Uh, uh, talk a little about that because you sort of the Titan, your Titan two, the Titan, retro. absolutely. It's all they're all very related to the Star Trek that we've uh, come to love over the years, and it's it's a radical change for this so-called modern Star Trek. Also, sometimes controversial amongst the fans. So right. we sat down with um, all the heavy hitters. We sat down with John Eves, Doug Drexler. Um, and we looked at, okay, what, uh, we looked at Star Trek Online. We, we looked at what's the next generation of Starfleet. And everything was getting so aerodynamic. Everything was start. the ships were, were starting to look like arrows. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was missing a, a, a feel to it. Um, and so we started to collectively, all of us, started to push the designs backwards. We started to look at car designs, present-day car designs and airplane designs, and say, well, wouldn't they kind of look backwards? Um, and as we did that, um, we started to head back into Constitution class. We started to look at the older um, uh, Art Deco nacelle designs. And we every time we did that, we all would go, ooh, Ooh, we would get this. Uh, uh, we we would get excited because it felt it actually started to feel new but old to us. Um, and then we saw um, some fan designs um, uh, that really really excited us, and so we 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 brought those in. Um, Doug changed some of those up, and um, it became part of our visual uh, vernacular. Well, not to get too down the uh, Starship porn rabbit hole, I do have to say that in this week's episode, Bounty, um, it was so nice to see an original Constitution class ship that was rendered like the way that they should rather than with all the deck plating and everything the way that they've evolved in recent iterations. We added a little bit. We added a little bit because it, we had, it was a little too flat when we did it. We were like, okay, we just need a smidge. If you look, there's a, there's a little bit of de- detail to it. But it, it's, it's, it's gorgeous, as are, as are all the ships in the museum and such a wonderful conceit because it is like a, a combination of that old Vegas attraction and you know what a right. wonderful trip down memory lane, but it's all earned and a great way to introduce LeVar into the proceedings. But, uh, okay, so that brings us to Star Trek Three, and of course, this ties into what I was just talking about, because uh, you are a space dockaholic. You love the, your space dock. Um, I do. So I do. You boys hate it, right? You hate the Star Trek me, III, right? Me particularly. No, just Darren. It's just Darren right, that hates Darren. it. Gotcha. <laughs> No, I, I've always said I love it because it reminds me of the Blue Bayou at Disneyland and how Pirates of Caribbean can sail by while you're eating at the restaurant. And I like right. that. I would totally go to Space Dock and have a meal and watch the ships come in and out all day. Yes, of course. That's wish fulfillment for me. So tell us about seeing Star Trek Three for the first time and what the takeaways, if any, were from that film. Well, I was, let's see, it's 84. Very, yep. It's 84. So I'm nine years old. Uh, and, uh, so I, I, I see it twice with my family. I then, uh, that, those were the days when summer camp 
when they didn't have anything else to do when they were uh, on the East Coast that you ran out of uh, uh, hikes. They would just bring you, drop you off at a movie theater and pick you up. So we, we saw it like three more times. Uh, and you look, that, those are ILM days. I mean, what, you know, uh, it's just, it gets burned into your DNA. That sense of awe. I mean, I still, the restaurant shot of, uh, you know, of, of Yeoman Rand looking at, the, shaking her head as the ship comes in. I mean, like, I just want to sit there and, and, and be there and watch that shot. Um, and then I love that it would continue through those, 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 those movies. Um, and in next gen, I loved when it would show up that it, it felt like it was part of, uh, Starfleet. Uh, so I knew that if I ever came back to Star Trek, I'd love to see the new version of Space Dock again. Space Dock, the next generation? Yep. Space Dock, So generation. now obviously Star Trek Four. who would have ever thought that in, in, in Picard, uh, Star Trek Four would play such a vital part? But again, in this episode, the b- bounty named after uh, the, the, right. the christening of the bird of prey in Star Trek Four, but also the cloaking device would play such an important part. So obviously right. Star Trek four was a meaningful movie to you. It was, but, but that, it, that actually, um, it wasn't, we're honoring that movie, but that would, that actually just served as an organic, we needed a way for them to hide. Yeah. Um, and I, I forget how it happened in the room. We, we knew Jordy was going to be the solution and we were at, we were there and we were just imagining being there and, and the bounty was, we're like, well, what if the bounty's there? I said, and, and someone said that said, well, isn't the cloaking device still on that ship? And we all looked at each other. We started smiling. We're like, could we do that? Well, it's a treaty violation for it even to be there, but blah, blah, blah. That we just got all excited. And then the idea that that device could, could, could play a part in the season tickled us and, there we were. I love the little throwaway line that indicates that they had a hard time finding it in San Francisco <laughs> Bay. I know, I love because that. the cloaking yeah. device was on. Right. I love it, that. It's, it's sunk to the bottom of San Francisco a hell of a time finding it. Yeah. As I think Chris came up with that. It's, 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 I love that bit too. Okay. Speaking of cloaking devices, now obviously this one would, would not have been available, but. Um, I have to ask you, as the, uh, the diehard, dyed-in-the-wool DS9 fan on this panel, although we all love it, where was the Defiant? Any, any version of the Defiant? What do you mean? She was? Where was she? Yeah. The first one you she see. Was not, yeah. Did we? How did I miss that? Did I blink and miss the Defiant? You are no longer a Trek Ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> I lost my job. Thanks, Terry. It's there. You know, and it's technically, it's the, it's the second Defiant. It's the... Right. Uh, the Sao Paulo. Uh, yeah, see, now do I have my Trek Spurt thing they back They even yet? play the music. Okay. Yeah. The, the, the theme kicks in for a minute, Stephen. Okay, clearly, Martin. I was uh, yelling at one of the twins when that happened. <laughs> Likely story. Um, and it's the uh, what's the name of the, the original Sao Paulo? Yeah, Sao Paulo. Yeah, yep. uh, yeah, it's there. See, that's why I'm but, still but on stage. Ashley, you saw George and Gracie in it, though. Well, Gracie was pregnant. Right. Um, okay, and then Star Trek Five. We we can't wait for the return of, of Cybok. I guess we'll be returning. Uh, <laughs> and God, God is the is the villain at the end of the of the thing. <laughs> And that's who Amanda Plummer's working for, right? That is, that's the face, yeah. 
Um, tell us about you know your your feelings when you went to see Star Trek Five. Uh, you were you were getting a little older. It was a big summer. License to Kill came out that weekend. Indiana Jones and the Cru Last Crusade came out that week. Uh, that yeah. month. That was a big summer. You had that and Back to the Future Part Three was was a big summer. Um, uh, you know, look if you love uh, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, you got to have some fun. Uh, it you know it is what it is. Uh, I I like it. Um, so do we. It's it's as a as more of of that crew. And so, by the way, it's a delivery system for Jerry Goldsmith. Yep. It's yeah. incredible. Um, uh, you know, is and it, and and it has a beautiful message too. I think in it, um, it's not. Uh, you know, it's Star Trek Five. It, it should it be uh, considered the scourge of the Star Trek franchise? No, they've made a lot worse. We all know that. To me, it feels the most like an original series episode to me of the of all right. the movies. Yeah, absolutely. And we've done commentary on it, and there are a lot of reasons why certain things didn't work. But it's a very underrated picture in the oeuvre for a lot of a lot of reasons. So then, Star Trek Six, I imagine, also gave you a lot in terms oh, of how yeah. to wrap up, sort of be this elegy for an era of Star Trek because it was. In a lot of ways, even though Dewan came back and Shatner came back, but it really was the end of a, a Star Trek era. H how did uh, Undiscovered Country resonate for you? I, I mean, everything. I mean, tonally, um, it's perfect for me. It's much. It's much. I mean, it's that Nick Meyer nautical submarine movie. It really does have a feeling of finality to it. Um, you do feel like at any moment these characters might die. Um, so the stakes are quite high. And again, it does that thing where it's right that the last, well, I don't want to spoil this. <laughs> it does a lot right for James T. Kirk. That's what I will, that's what I'll say. And at the, at the end of, of, of this season three, I could come back to this, but it, it, it's narratively right in that it closes a lot of uh, narrative loops, I would say. Now, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but are we going to see the signatures of the Next Generation cast show up so, on screen? No, uh, oh. uh, because <laughs> and, uh, Avengers Endgame, you know, Kevin Feige is... is is one of the biggest Star Trek fans out there. Yep. Um, and uh, he did it brilliantly in, in Avengers Endgame, and I felt like I, I can't do it. But, <laughs> that was the best remake but, of all the things I've ever seen. It, it, it is. <laughs> but I think we do something quite nice. Let's just say. I think you will feel good. Nice. Feel young is when the world was new. Um, it really takes you back in time. It's so wonderful. Um, so then generations comes. Um, uh, wow, we're going. We're going to go through them all. I'm we're doing trying. It. <laughs> Just think about what you're going to say about Nemesis right now. <laughs> the, the past is prologue, right? So, I mean, is your audience? Are their eyes glossing over at this? Are they even still listening to me? Oh yeah, are they, yeah. Are they I filed out yet? Or are they all? Just, um, 
And I do want to leave time for questions because people haven't really had a chance to engage with you yet. Engage. You know, other than on Twitter, which isn't always the most uh, uh, inviting forum for discussion. So uh, it would be great to have, I I think we have a lot of big fans of the the series in here. So I'd love to, you know, while, uh, if you want to line up at the microphone so Terry can hear you, we'll, we'll do questions in a little bit. And I don't want to go too far down the road on these movies because, of course, um, you worked with a lot of these people and there comes a point at which you don't want to be the person necessarily offering criticism, uh, uh, you know, so maybe after generations of first contact, we'll stop and move on. <laughs> um, but was there anything about generations that you, you learned about, you know, certainly, um, uh, you, you know, it dealt with some major things in the Star Trek universe, the death of a major character. It dealt with. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, look, I, it's not how I would have sent Kirk off. Um, clearly, cause I just put his body in Daystrom. Um, I, <laughs> was that in the script or was that a late, a late thing? No, that- he, uh, we, we knew it was going to be an Easter. Look, uh, I, I mean, look, Kirk is dead, but, uh, I just, we figured is his body really just under a pile of rocks on that planet? It, it, we're not, we're not commit. We're not saying he's resurrected as, you know, is it a tip of the hat to the return, which is a wonderful book. I recommend to all of you. Um, but, um, maybe, uh, we just leave it open that someday some brilliant writer could do something. Um, that could be an animated thing that could be anything. Um, just to, to keep, the, the uh, my friend Spock is fond of saying there were always possibilities. You know um, that was the idea, the idea behind that. Uh, I, I think I think this the generations. It, it's tough to send the the, the initial idea is, is that that's a passing of the torch from the original series to next gen. But you only did it with a few of them. But then again, I, I watched some of it recently, and I, w- I was uh, it, some of it held up better than I remembered. But I, I, I just, I don't know if, I don't know, you know. Well, it's a, it's a far, far better resting place than he has ever known. Yeah. So, you know, as you know, I was Brandon Braga's assistant for many years, and I used to beat him up relentlessly for it. <laughs> um, uh, uh, and he was really always good natured about it. Um, but you, you know, again, it's not. It becomes a corporate decision. Uh, as to how all that works. And, and that's a lot of Star Trek, as you well know. Um, it's not just one creative who, well, sometimes it is, but uh, as to how those movies get made, it's a, it's, a, it's a lot of people. So, Well, it's interesting because obviously, uh, you know, as Brandon and Ron have talked about, there were a lot of eyes on Generations and a lot of cooks in the kitchen. The studio really had a lot riding on it. So yeah. they had a lot of demands. And um, you see that throughout the history of Star Trek. And then you look at something like Enterprise Season 4 where everyone's checked out. They know the show's going to be canceled. And Manny does this beautiful work on fourth season because he's left alone. And I kind of think in a way that of, of you in that kind of situation, too, that it's the third season. They, you know going in it's the last season. And, you know, it's as Ira Bear would say, the eye of Sauron is pointed elsewhere. So it's kind of like you got to do what you wanted to do without, I would assume, a ton of interference. I hope you like it. Features, features, it's not respond. 
<laughs> He's unwilling to respond. It was a lot of support. There was, it were, there was a lot of support. I, 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 like truly from, from everyone um, without, there was without interference. Great. Well, we have a, a bunch of people who are lining up to ask, uh, ask you questions. So I think we're going to turn it over to them. We have a, a yeoman over here who has a question. Um, I'm a fan. I love how you have woven the past with Picard's now. My question is, um, when Picard finds out about Jack, his son, you know, he's never known about him. And I was watching it, and then the music from the old series was in there, too, during this scene. And it made me think immediately of Kirk meeting his son for the first time. Um, can you speak to that? Did you hear well, that, went, Terry? I did. I heard all of it. Yes. Um, uh, w it was, we certainly knew that, that it was going to be compared to Kirk and, and, and David Marcus. Um, the difference, I think, well, there's a lot of differences. I mean, Kirk is certainly infinitely y younger. Um, and is aware of David Marcus it, it, that, that he exists. Uh, in this case, we had a, we had talked to Patrick, uh, and Patrick, we had we, the pitch to Patrick was: it feels like this last season has to be about the the last unexplored relationship in your life, which is a, 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 probably a son. Um, he had already kind of done a daughter with Soji, but it has to be a grown son. So where does a grown son come from? We looked through many episodes. Does he come from a mirror universe? That felt really weird. And, and in our back pocket, we thought Beverly Crusher, but how would you make that work? Um, and then Patrick said, what if it's Beverly Crusher? And we were like, yeah, what if it's Beverly Crusher? Um, <laughs> So we had to go make that try and make sense. And so digging into Beverly, um, you immediately go to Wesley and you look at that relationship. Um, and then the story of a mother who let her child sort of go out into the stars who has already experienced that loss and the loss of her parents and the loss of a husband and specifically this relationship with Picard. Uh, who has rejected the notion of family and children for so long, um, could it make sense that she would have been that protective to keep her from Picard? It's tough. It's definitely tough. As a hardcore fan of Next Gen, even, even I go, ooh. And so we sat down with Gates, and she's like, I think so. And then w once Gates was on board, you know, Gates, is, Gates lives with the character deeper. She speaks with all of you at these conventions, um, thinks about this character more than any of us on the planet possibly could. Um, we started to develop the story and the psychology behind it all, and it made sense. So anyway, that's not really quite answering your question. I'm sorry. But, so, but, but getting to that moment, yes, it is, it is and it isn't 
that moment. It's not designed to be a tip of the hat to Wrath of Khan at all. Um, but it is unavoidable in the fact that those are both iconic Star Trek moments. Thank you. And by the way, how great is Ed Spielers as Jack Crusher? Amazing. Phenomenal. I, I hope you have him for an option for another series because I have a feeling that people are going to want to sign him. Go ahead. I told them to do it, but they didn't. So we'll Hi, thank you, uh, Trek Spirits and Terry Matalas. I really appreciate all the work uh, that you've done, Terry, on season three of Picard. And I was glad to hear you also worked on season two. I really enjoyed that season as well. All the social commentary that came out of that season, you know, reminded me of, you know, why Star Trek was around, you know, to talk about what we're dealing with in today's world. Uh, but I think we owe a lot of some of the new Trek that's coming out to everything we saw in Discovery. Picard, maybe if there's a way you could talk with uh, Alex Kurtzman or the folks at Paramount to give Discovery another two years so it can be a seven series show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think I could do that. I wish I was that powerful. Um, but you're right that there would be no Picard. There would be no strange the world without discovery. Uh, that is absolutely true. All right, thank you. Thank you. Hi, Terry. Thanks for uh, taking time to meet with us today virtually. Oh, um, so, my my question uh, pertains to the uh, post credit sequence on Picard season three. Can you talk about the inspiration for that? Yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, so. Uh, it's certainly the, the pre-credit sequence for season one and two wasn't going to work. We wanted to redesign it. Um, and we wanted to do something at, at the end. Uh, but, uh, something we knew we wanted the first contact thing. We, we, we wanted to, to do Jerry that always felt not just to be a, a scene, a, a theme about, uh, humanity's first contact with aliens, but also kind of this next gen family theme that I always thought would come back in a, in a, in another feature film with that cast. Uh, so using that as the basis, um, and bringing back Mike and Denise Akuda, um, we thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool if we could live within the L cars world? And what if we could hide Easter eggs of the entire season in these graphics? Um, and we also had no money. <laughs> so we went, we went to uh, this, this, this company and, and um, we sat with our writers and we we're like, what can we hide? So if you look, we hide um, uh, the, the Captain Shaw's Wolf 359 report is, is in there. We hide data, uh, data's um, pop was the weasel notes are in there. Um, we hide the cloaking Klingon cloaking device with the cloaking device sound. Um, so that every time you have another episode, you can go back and be like, oh, that, that was here. That was hiding in plain sight the whole time. Um, in fact, I will say this about the season. If you go back and watch the season after, uh, uh, go back and watch the, fir the big first episode after you watch the whole season, you will find clues about the whole season throughout as well. So that was that was the idea behind that. Thank you. I I personally love the selection of the uh, of the first contact theme because it, it the you know Goldsmith was an absolute master, but this seems like the closest thing that we're ever going to get to a hymn to Star Trek. It is it is right. it is very it's a very religious tune. 
And uh, it just, it, it impacts me very strongly. And I think it, it does to a lot of other people. Oh, I'm so glad, I'm so glad. And of course you brought back Mike Akuda and Denise uh, who oversaw a lot of that and obviously are, you know, true Trek treasures. Try saying that three times. True Trek treasures, true Trek treasures. Go ahead. All right, hi Terry, thanks for um, uh, joining us and appreciate uh, uh, your interaction with the fans. Um, I had a more general question. It's clear that the future of Star Trek is still pretty bright and open. And I was wondering your thoughts on kind of what the sweet spot is for a format of a show. I mean, obviously these shows started as episodic television where each episode was independent. They're trying to get back to that with Strange New Worlds. And then you have shows like Picard or Discovery where you have these season long arcs. What, what do you think works best for Star Trek? Or is there a middle ground between those two routes? Uh, I actually, I think the middle ground is super interesting to me. I think um, uh, middle ground, I think you can have longer arcs. I'm, look, in your dream of dreams, <laughs> this will never happen, but Next Gen was perfect to have those longer 20 episodes where you could do a hybrid serialized episode of and episode of the week. I think that would be the perfect Star Trek. I don't think they're ever going to make anything like that again. How, um, but I, I do think that, that, that certainly if I were to ever do it again, that's the kind of thing you would want to do. I think you need serialized arcs because I think that's television today. But I think in the case of Star Trek, um, you and exploring worlds and, 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 and being able to do new things. Uh, I think you need the ability for new stories to come and go. I think that would be the case. This season's not like that. Um, it was never designed that because you had to bring in all of these characters one by one, and it would not have worked as an episode of the week. It had to be one story. Thank you. You're welcome. Hi, Terry. I was just wondering, you brought back a character I would have never expected to see again. How did Ro Laren end up coming back? How did that come about? Yeah, um, it, you know, it all stems from, we're our, this is the final next-gen story. Uh, that just felt like one unanswered question that, you know, if we could get everybody back together, could we, could we see her again and could she could she, could she send them on, a, on the mission that potentially saves the galaxy? Um, you know, in our dream of dreams, we would have had her in, in a lot more, but we could only get Michelle for uh, four days. Um, and uh, that, uh, that became the story. And, um, it, you know, she's... I think if you were to list all the major characters, I mean, aside from Q, I think she's, she's right there, you know, uh, um, aside from the main cast and Q, uh, not Mark and, Twain, <laughs> not, not Mark Twain. you know, and it's, and it's somebody for a show called Picard, I think she had, a, you know, a profound impact on that character. So, um, we, uh, we thought it was important to include her in the final next gen story. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. 
Hello, Mr. Metallus. How you doing? Hi. Good. good. How are you? Um, so season three is 2404, correct? The year? 2401, I believe. 2401. Okay. Regardless, it's uh, 20 years about after Lower Decks. So what ships are Mariner and Boimler commanding at this point? I think you would want to ask Mike McCann that question, not me. Fair enough. Thank you. You're welcome. Welcome, Odin. We now have someone dressed as Tim the Enchanter. Oh, Oh. well, damn. And Master Roshi. (laughs) So my question is, there are so many wonderful Easter eggs in Picard season three. How do you prioritize which ones you're going to put in a season? Is there a fight in the writer's room for this one or that one? Or how do you decide that? You know, it's funny. They, they don't always originate in the writer's room. Um, uh, some of them come from production design. Some of them come from set deck. Some of them come from visual effects. Uh, so by the time you're done, there are Easter eggs I'm not even aware of until they air. And I'm like, that was an Easter egg? <laughs> uh, there was there was one uh, uh, Ryan Airy and Screen Crush caught. I'm like, what the hell? Um, so, you know, again, it, it, it comes from everybody being fans and wanting to honor the universe. Uh, look, again, it also becomes uh, probably our harshest criticism is Easter eggs and nostalgia. Um, but what, what, what anniversary are we coming up on? 60th. 60th. So if you walk into somebody's house and they've lived there for 60 years, (laughs) they got a lot of Easter eggs up on those walls, don't they? (laughs) They're listening to the same music, right? So, you know, I I say, fuck all that part of my language. (laughs) I, you know, I, I think you live in a universe where you would walk around and see these things. I, you know, so um, that's my point of view on it. Other people may have a different different one. Um, I think I think it's uh, I don't know that it's fan service. I think it's Star Trek service. Well, because you have such a rich universe to draw from over, as you said, sixty years. So it's crazy to just ignore the the past. And and just and and the great thing is you're not coasting on it. You're not bringing back the emperor because you're devoid of ideas. You know, like, oh, let's bring back Emperor Palpatine because we can't come up with anything more clever. You know, right. um, so you're coming up with some really new things we've never seen. You're deepening and enriching the characters, and at the same time, uh, honoring the legacy of Star Trek. It goes back to what you said about Star Trek Six. That honored everything that came before in the previous 25 years, right? And because they were saying goodbye. And whether we like it or not, this is you and the characters, the next generation characters saying goodbye. I, I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, great. Next, next. Thank you. Good evening. Thank you. Um, Mr. Batalis, one thing that never gets too much love is the animated series. Did you use any of the animated series for inspiration or have you used it before? There is a reference to the animated series, and it's oh, it eludes me right now. Uh, some eagle-eyed fan is going to find it, um, but we 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 did put it in there. Um, it might be a prosthetic. Someone's going to have to find it, but but uh, but but it is in there. It is it is definitely in in there. 
I mean, it's it's not the first thing you say in, in the writer's room, for sure. I, I got to tell you, I was looking for Mr. Eric's the whole time, and I did not find him, and I was very disappointed. I know. Well, well in I know, fairness, I, I was know. looking for the Defiant, and it was actually there. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Metallus, thank you for your time today. Uh, quick question for you. First of all, you've done an outstanding job on season three. Um, oh, thank TNG you. TNG fan, been watching everything, can't wait to get to the next week. Left on a cliffhanger every week, watching the rated room, just waiting for more. Um, question <laughs> is, will we see any of the kids later on in the Star Trek universe? Maybe Jack, maybe the Forges. I, God, I, I mean, I hope so. I, it, it's not up to me. Uh, I, I, I certainly would in, would love that to happen. I think we certainly leave leave it so that you can do that. And I, I think it's also great what you did with LaForge's daughters. I mean, one is a pilot, one is an engineer. You know, we talk about the importance of STEM and, you know, Sydney LaForge is a great addition. We were talking earlier during the technical difficulties about the characters we would have put on our top 101 from uh, Picard and Sydney LaForge is a wonderful new addition as well. She's great. She's a phenomenal actress, too. So a lot of these questions keep coming back to how will legacy happen? Can it happen? I know that there's a lot. You don't want to be Gene fanning the flames of, uh, you know, uh, at the end of the second season. Yeah, you're telling B. Joe, do this. But, you know, people are circulating change.com uh, uh, petitions and uh, tweeting. What, what, you know, what can the audience do to, to let uh, Paramount Plus and, uh, Paramount and CBS, all act, not CBS, know that they want to see more uh, of this story going forward. You know, I I, I don't. <laughs> I keep getting asked this. I, I have no idea what what I I don't know. What do you do? Um, I, I think you be loud. Um, they, I, I guess. I I, I really. I have no idea. I, I don't work for Star Trek right now. I don't work. I don't, we're not developing anything. Um, I, I, I guess I know that Star Trek um, ha came back to life because of the fans. I think they, they get to decide. Um, so however you all best make noise is how, is how to do it. I think a, a direct thing that the audience can do is, Watch the show. Yes. Watch again the again. show over and over again because they will yeah, respond. And, and encourage your it encourage maybe people who yeah. who might have walked away who might be open minded enough Absolutely. to to check it out. That might be that might be one way to do it as well. But also don't send, send a lot of cards to NBC. That yeah. will not help. Postcards no, there's no I had a friend uh, say like maybe we send chamomile tea. To no, no. <laughs> wrong tea. To, uh, no, no, uh, Worf, Worf likes chamomile. Oh, that's right? true. So, so, uh, so that was that. Uh, I, but I, I, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know what today's thing is for that. You prune know? juice. Yeah, lots of yeah. prune juice, well, and also that has symbol symbolic value. So yeah, right. Well, Terry, we're so grateful that you could. Uh, I'm not going to say beam down because then I'll sound like a local news anchor. So thank you for um, joining Last us today. We're so happy to have you at your first Star Trek convention. And this audience was terrific. And um, 
we're, we're so uh, glad to be able to share their enthusiasm with you because I know it can get pretty nasty on the social network. Are they network. still awake? Did they? Did they? Yeah, they're still oh, here. Still alive, my old friend. <laughs> well, thank you for listening to all that. And, and thank you, and thank you, Terry. And um, thank you, gentlemen. Keep on trekking, ingloriously, of course. Thank you. <laughs> all right, we'll talk to you soon, you, everybody. Bye. And thank all of you. We'll be at the um, Inglorious Trexperts booth, where we'll have right. free signing. Uh, posters and stuff, and if you're interested in any of my books, we have those for sale as well. Right and next we'll, to the other Terry, Terry Farrell. That's right. Uh, so much Terry. And we'll be back tomorrow with Walter Koenig, where we'll talk about his incredible odyssey in Star Trek, from I Spy to uh, to the, the, the Babylon 5, but yeah. a lot of Star Trek, obviously. So, um, But this was great. It was so terrific to have Terry with us. I, I, you know, I think hearing what he has to say, it just makes you want this to go on and that is somebody who gets it who loves it you know he, he loves the fans he loves star trek he knows how to do it and we can only hope that there's a lot more to come and thanks to the GalaxyCon guys for yes. making this technically happen uh well done thank you that was quite daunting and they managed to, to 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 do it you know getting terry beamed in from la was not easy and they stuck with it and they made it happen and uh, we're very appreciative to everybody at GalaxyCon for making this possible. It was quite a curveball we threw them, and yeah. they, they did it with finesse. So thank you, and thank you, everybody. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow or later at the booth. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, everybody. See you. Thank you. And we're back. That was Terry Metalis talking about Star Trek Picard and his love of Star Trek. And if you ever questioned his love of Star Trek, I doubt you will after listening to that interview. He's a true uh, Trek expert. I think it was surprising that he announced the uh, development of a new series, uh, Star Trek Picardo, uh, featuring <laughs> the, uh, the Doctor. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. Star yeah, Trek Picardo. Uh, yeah. You know what, what really jumped out at me about that whole panel and the Q&A was the, uh, the enthusiasm for Picard for the show um, mm -hmm. that I, I don't think we have seen uh, for Star Trek in in quite some time, um, I think some of our uh, our our other con experiences have have they've felt a little bit it, not in terms of just the energy of the conventions in general, but the relative enthusiasm for Star Trek and how people want to talk about it and talk about the future of Star Trek. It just felt very different. Um, yeah. It was like here was a man who was like, you know, he was standing in the desert with just gallons of water and these people were coming up to him and thanking him for a sip of it. You know what I mean? It was just it was quite something to see. And it, you know, it really tracks with things that I'm seeing online. I'm seeing, you know, people getting out there and they're creating their own material for Picard. They're doing, um, you know, opening credit sequences, main title sequences mm -hmm. for Star Trek Titan. They're doing all these things that you only <laughs> do when you really love something, right? Yeah. I think that the show has struck a chord and the reception that Terry got um, really just brought that home for me. Yeah, yeah. And we were also happy to do a giveaway for uh, Blu-rays from uh, Strange New Worlds, uh, comes out on home video this week and a uh, bunch of a uh, bunch of lucky people or people who were excited to receive it uh got copies of that so that was um that was our, our pleasure also as a bunch of great cds from la la land as well um so we were happy to be able to 
uh, give those out for our friends at, uh, at La La Land. So uh, the real winners were you. But um... <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the people who came to our booth were very happy because uh, we usually gave them uh, free uh, signed posters, mini posters. And uh, of course, those who be worthy uh, were made uh, honorary experts. And those who are truly worthy got a smile out of me. That's right. Rare, yeah, right. but I, get away with the usual cruelty policy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, but uh, but I will say um, I will say this: it was a really it was a really terrific weekend. Um, we had some great meals, some great mm -hmm. meals. I mean, oh my gosh! So, but Friday night we went out um, to Havana Fifty Nine for Cuban. And right. uh, it was sort of nouveau Cuban, even though it was Havana 59. And we had some wonderful food there and a great restaurant, a lot of fun, lively place. It smelled like cigar smoke, not surprisingly. Um, like in a way that wasn't impressive. It almost kind of added to the ambiance. If you, it was, it was almost like sharing cake with Hyman Roth. Almost. Well, as Darren <laughs> pointed out, we uh, we finally had a partnership with the friendly government. Our friendly restaurant in this case. And then one day we'll be bigger than U.S. Steel here on the podcast. So thank you, Hyman Roth, for facilitating that. All right. Because if we get a check, we know we have a partner. If we don't. <laughs> no, yeah. it was great. And I have to say those Cuban nachos were pretty awesome. I know you guys didn't have it, but I love you them. You love nachos in any country. I do, so. but these were particularly good nachos. These were particularly good nachos, but I, I, I think I had the Aros Compolio, which I, I thought was terrific. I really liked. What did you have, Ashley? You uh, had the fish, right? I think I had the steak. Oh, you had the steak. Oh, That's the, right. The, the coffee rubbed, uh, the coffee rubbed fillet. It was really flat, yeah. flat iron. Yeah, it was yeah. amazing, actually. What did you have, Darren? I had the amazing Cuban sandwich, which was amazing. Yeah, like it was I really said. good. And Cuban, and and two Cuba libres, which were delicious. I got to tell you, when I go to a new new place, you know, if I go back, I like to try new places. I would go back there. I would go back there. I really, really enjoyed that. And speaking of places we go back to, Saturday night was really special. Yeah. Yeah. Bookbinders. Not just because it was Miller time. That's right. And those <laughs> nights are kind of special. But, uh, but we had some special guests join us for a lovely dinner. We did, and yeah. we sat in the dead center of the room, which meant that acoustically we heard everybody else's conversation but while struggling to hear our own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So even if people wanted to know what our secret conversations were about, we couldn't tell them because we couldn't hear it. I think it was just to foil any kind of listening devices. Um, it's like uh, Get Smart, like the cone of silence, only different. But uh, we were joined by uh, the um, jocular Jonathan Frakes, a.k.a. Uh, Lieutenant, no, not Lieutenant, he's what? Captain Riker now. What? Captain Riker. I was going to say Commander Riker, but he's Captain Riker now. Yeah. Captain yeah. Riker to you. And then, of course, uh, uh, we were joined by uh, the, the lovely Dax, uh, Terry Farrell, and uh, and uh, the now not visitor Terry, not as Terry, uh, Kieran yeah. and, uh, and the and, the, and the three of us. And yes. uh, sh show tunes were shared, good times were had, uh, Im imbibing of various alcoholic beverages was um, imbibed. <laughs> and it was, it was a wonderful just, night in spite of our presence. Right. It was a, it was it was absolutely uh, delightful. All three of those people are just, you know, uh, so much fun like. to be around. 
And it was a really, uh, really wonderful evening and a wonderful restaurant, uh, Bookbinders, a wonderful steak steakhouse, uh, uh, you know, near the water uh, in, in sort of a quaint area of Richmond, but, uh, um, right along the uh, uh, the water. And, and uh, it was very scenic. So that was that was a, a nice evening. We'd like to thank Bookbinders for accommodating our entire party at late notice and a big shout out to Caroline for making it possible. Uh, she uh, she uh, got us the extra seats uh, that we needed on the reservation. So thank you, Caroline. If you're listening to the podcast, uh, we'd like to extend our gratitude to you for making it a wonderful dinner for all of us. And then, of course, for those of you who still are not satiated with our dinner conversation, we uh, we went to, um, this was great, Indian. And this may have been yeah. the best of all of them. Nama, was was, which was sort of nouveau Indian food on um, on Sunday night. Or do they pronounce it? Do they pronounce it Nama? It may be Nama, or maybe (laughs) Nana in this case. (laughs) But we had such a lovely evening with um, uh, two of our favorite Deep Space Nine actors. Uh, You could probably guess who they were, and um, (laughs) but the food was just terrific. And I have to say, the the great thing was that because we were you know placed next to them in the hall uh, at our at our booth. Um, we could basically just, uh, you know, throw stuff at them and uh, and uh, uh, bug them until they would go to dinner again. So it was it was one well, of those. I, I don't know why you would even say that because so that's weird. so far from the truth. They asked us, dude. I know. I know. <laughs> I, know. Yeah, I don't know why well, you're trying to make Why you feel fun. you have to like? Uh, anyway, <laughs> I'm just trying to make it a little Diminish fun your stature. for the audience. You know. Okay. You know. Well, anyway, but uh, but it was a, such a such a lovely evening, and we were yeah we were there along like Star Trek row. It was nice. I mean, you know, it was like us, and then you had um, next to us was Terry, and then was me, and then was and then Walter uh, Gates was there, and then Jonathan, and then Bill was across from them, and yeah. uh, it was nice. And then of course they had all these wrestlers and. Um, uh, voiceover artist and, and the great well, John Reese Davies, who you I, I, John I'm going to save a couple. I'm going to save a couple stories for our later episodes because I had some wonderful uh, uh, dealings with some of these people. Yeah, I'm going to save a few rants for uh, another episode because I got to <laughs> tell you, it wasn't all rainbows and unicorns down in uh, no. Richmond. Sometimes it was two-hour nachos. Listen, I got to tell you, I, I, mean, I don't want to start, but that hotel sucked. Okay. Oh, by the way, they, I, they, they, I checked UPS. My box, the, the package I sent to myself that was supposed to be there on Friday. Well, it was, it was delivered, but they said they didn't have it. And so, uh, anyway, I left without my books. But, um, so somebody in shipping can enjoy, nobody does it better. They should have killed his dog. But uh, but we, the, the day we get there, Ashley's having a lovely dinner. I sit down. I order some non-sparkling bottled water and uh, quesadilla, quesadilla, a quesadilla. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, cut and flash forward to about an hour later. I've yet to get my water or my quesadilla. Then I do get my water, but it's sparkling water. And as any fans of the podcast know, I'm not a fan of sparkling water at all. And how many times did I say I wanted non-sparkling bottled water? It's like a reenactment from Free Enterprise for crying. Free Enterprise is a reenactment (laughs) of my life. Okay. So anyway, (laughs) I was crazy. It was ridiculous. And then they bring me the wrong water. And I I say I would like, I'm very nice about it. I'm not being a dick about it. But and then they don't bring me the water. And then they never come with the quesadilla. 
And every time we asked him, oh, yeah, it's at the kitchen. I'll go check with the kitchen. Check with the kitchen. Yeah, how many times? Yeah. Finally, it was just ridiculous. I mean, it was two hours later, I hadn't gotten my water or the quesadilla. And it was two in the morning by then or whatever it was. Anyway, yeah, I know nobody cares about this, but I'm still angry about it. Somewhere there's a uh, a server in that bar still wandering around with a cold with quesadilla, a quesadilla looking for I, I felt like the guy who was left on the MTA. Yeah. You know, like the case of trio, like we've talked about in the past. I was the man Look, who never the, got served. The universe <laughs> balances her books, okay? So it, we would have to have some bad experiences at the hotel in order to have such great experiences at the convention uh, with uh, these lovely people. And don't get me started on lunch the next day. Remember that? Yes. After, yeah. Yes. Okay. We all remember what happened. Okay. But we'll we'll talk about it on uh, one of we'll our. We'll return to this place again for the three of you that care. <laughs> but uh, anyway, this has been a delight, and I'm so grateful to Terry Metalis for joining us and everyone at GalaxyCon who made our um, stay there so wonderful for the most part. So um, especially if you weren't waiting for your non-sparkling bottled water. Um, but uh, anyway, and, and, and then we went to another restaurant. And you know how I was saying in Ohio, they didn't have non-sparkling pot of water. I, they only had tap water. So then we go to the restaurant and I ask for non-sparkling pot of water and, and a bottle. They say, oh, no, we only have tap water. I'm like, what is with the tap water? It's crazy. I don't know. I was very upset. Because people aren't as uptight as we are in California. It's not uptight. I want what I want. It actually so is. Say That's the that. definition of uptight. Okay. I want what I want. <laughs> I want what I want. That is literally the definition of it. <laughs> Yeah, well, you don't live in California anymore, so That's you're much right. more mellow. Look, <laughs> this is not a California thing. California people lay back. I'm from New York. That's where it comes from. It doesn't come from California. California and mellow. It's the Happy beach cows people. come from California. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the <laughs> anyway, whatever. Happy cows die in California. <laughs> okay, whatever. So anyway, listen, I'm so glad that you joined us for this episode. Um and I hope uh, you enjoyed hearing from Terry. We hope to have Terry back on the show uh, soon, you know, as we uh, approach the uh, finale of Picard. And um, I'm looking forward to uh, being joined by him. So, uh, hello, guys? Yes. Yeah. Oh. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> We're just you, letting you, just, you end, the, end the show. I just yeah. lost Hanson. You're no longer visual, Hanson. So, uh, uh, no, you just remembered the color seven of nine. That's all. Anyway, so uh, on behalf of uh, Darren Docterman, Ashley Miller, myself, Mark A. Altman, uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. We are deeply grateful to Mark Rivera for uh, doing what he could with the sound on this. And, uh, of course, Peter Holmstrom, our, our producer. And uh, if you want to follow us on uh, Instagram or uh, on Twitter, follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Inglorious Trek or Inglorious Trek Experts or on Facebook. And... Uh, grow stronger through the sharing. And of course, we'll be in Raleigh, North Carolina uh, this July, following appearances at San Diego Comic-Con and preceding our appearance at the Vegas 56-year mission edition. 56? Yeah, 56 something like that. Something like something that. Like so uh, we hope to see you at one of our upcoming events. And uh, until then, on behalf of Darren, Ashley, and myself, Mark A. Allman, keep on trekking, and gloriously, of course. <laughs>
Hey, this is Mark A. Altman of Inglorious Trexperts in the 430 movie. And if you're a fan of our podcast, you don't want to miss Deck 78, available now by subscribing at trexpertsplus.com. This is a bonus podcast full of great discussions about popular culture, film, and television. And on this episode, don't miss our in-depth discussion with showrunner director Kenneth Johnson about the 40th anniversary of V, The Incredible Hulk, Six Million Dollar Man, The Bionic Woman, and of course, Bigfoot. Here's a sneak peek. But it was, Brennan was in a hurry. And um, normally to do a four-hour miniseries with a cast of almost 70 people, um, you'd have, what, four or five months just to prep Right, you know, right. the whole thing, just to build the stuff you needed and all of that. And um, uh, and four or five months. And from the weekend when Brandon read my full first draft script and said, go, until the day I said action was two and a half weeks. Oh, my God. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, they, wow. People, well, yeah, most people like you, most people in the industry go, no, you didn't. That's bullshit. I know. Casting, prep, locations. I mean, it's, and, and it, it, it just script is one forget. thing, but that's crazy. That's extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was insane. And, uh, and how did it, how did it happen? Well, it happened because Brandon really needed it for February or thought he did. And um, uh, and he knew that I could deliver and deliver fast as I had in the past. But I said, geez, guys, you know, uh, so I said, OK, look, I'll do the best. We, we'll do the best we can. And uh, and we started shooting literally two and a half weeks after he said go. Um, and I know I obviously we had stuff that we were beginning to line up. I had always already corralled almost all of my uh, crew from the Incredible Hulk at Universal to bring them over to be with me at uh, uh, at Warner's. I brought along Chuck Davis, who had been my production designer on Prometheus and on, on the whole Incredible Hulk series and Bionic Woman uh, before that. Um, Chuck, who always would tell me, is this the best we can do? You know, and... Uh, um, a brilliant guy, and uh, I, I, that's a whole other story. But um, so I had I had a team that had been working together for you know for over five years uh, that really spoke the same language, and a brilliant cinematographer in John McPherson, uh, and my composer Joe Harnell, who uh, and I knew exactly where I wanted to go with the music and all. Um, so I was had begun to line things up, but it wasn't until Brandon said go that I could say okay, move everybody in here. Let's start the casting. Let's start the location scouting and. Uh, and uh, and this was in a day where there were no cell phones that they could show you pictures. The you know they'd have to go take the pictures and bring them back, or they'd have to drag you out to the location. So we're doing all of that and, and casting in the afternoons. Uh, and, and in many cases, I, I hired the first actor that they brought me because they happened to hit the ball exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore, they tell everybody else they can go home. So subscribe today at trexpressplus.com and don't miss a single episode of Deck Seventy Eight. Fire the rockets.